Now we give a very warm welcome to everyone to this time of public worship this evening, both to those in the church here and <clears throat> to those who are joining with us online. Let's begin our worship by singing to God's praise in Psalm number 91. It's page 351 of the Psalter and it's at the beginning of the song. He that doth in the secret place of the Most High reside, under the shade of him that is the Almighty, shall abide. I of the Lord my God will say he is my refuge still, he is my fortress, and my God, and in him trust I will. And we do notice from this song that the one great living and true God of the Bible has been given many different names. He's the Most High, He's the Almighty, He's the Lord, He's God. We'll sing verses 1 to 4 of Psalm 91. He that doth in the secret place of the Most High reside. thank you for this song that you have given to us. We pray that we would stop and ponder the profound truths that are contained within it. You are a refuge for those who seek you. You are as the brooding hen that is ready to sweep up into the safety of its feathers any of its little ones that come under attack in any way eh, whatsoever. We would not dare to presume this in our own roving imaginations simply because we are sinners and you are holy but you are the one who has revealed it to us as a human race. May we never ever eh, forget that. And may we remember that one of your names in that song is the Almighty. That is the ultimate. And we pray that if we are in need that we would remember that nothing devised against God can prosper. Nor can anyone who is hiding under the shadow of the wing of the eternal 
uh, come uh, to any defeat. We pray, O Lord, that as we gather here at this evening hour, on this night, with a clear sky, in which we will soon be able to behold the stars of the heavens, way beyond our ability to number, and yet we know that you name them every one. And at the end of the day, whether we look at mountains, valleys, hills or seas or stars in the sky, our minds begin to melt away when we consider that you are the being who brought it all into existence. And you are the being who has kept it in existence all these years. And you are the being who has kept us in existence. And the one who has poured out into our lives many, many blessings. We pray that we would acknowledge that. And as we look around the troubled world this night, we pray on the anniversary of the outbreak of war in the Ukraine that we would remember how blessed we are. We may have issues, we may have things to complain about, but in the big scale of things, we are just so well off. We think of people in Turkey and Syria who have lost so many loved ones. We observe these things from a distance we cannot enter into what these people are going through. But we pray that we will be mindful of our fellow humans. We pray, O oh Lord, that you'd remember us um, as a nation. We pray that you would give us a leadership that would acknowledge you. We pray for our own Kate that you'd watch over us and that you'd succor and strengthen her and her family. May we remember her at the throne of grace and may she be given the wisdom and the ability to do that which is honouring to you and beneficial to our nation in the days that lie ahead. As we look around the globe, we pray that where there are those who are in uh, positions of authority, whether through politics or money or uh, wealth or in any other way, who are abusing uh, these uh, positions, that they would be brought to naught. And we pray that we would remember that it is righteousness alone that exalts any uh, nation. And so as we gather here towards the end of this day, we pray that you'd come in amongst us and bless us. And indeed, across the globe, wherever your church is met, perhaps even in twos and threes, that you would be in the midst to bless. And indeed, where there are those who are your own people who are all alone for one reason or another, and that may be true in lands where the church is persecuted, but it may be true also in our own shores for different reasons that people are very, very alone. But you are the God who became flesh and dwelt among us for 33 years, and in that sojourn you knew what loneliness was. May we never forget that. And when we turn heavenwards, may we remember that uh, whatever our plight or pang may be, it resonates with the God-man who sits at the throne that is eternal this night. So be with us, we pray. And we pray to, that you would be with our loved ones wherever they are across this globe this night. We thank you for family bonds. And our earnest prayer is that we will be together in the great beyond as well as together in this world. For Lord, have mercy upon us and enable us to worship you in spirit and in truth this night. And all we ask is in Christ's name. Amen. Now let's continue to sing to God's praise in the same song, Psalm 91, page 351 of the Psalter at verse 5. Thou shalt not need to be afraid for terrors of the night, nor for the arrow that doth fly by day while it is light, nor for the pestilence that walks in darkness secretly, nor for destruction that doth wait at noonday openly. Verses 5 to 8 of Psalm in 91, thou shalt not need to be afraid for terrors of the night. Mm -hmm. 
word as we find it in 1st Samuel and that chapter 17 1st Samuel and that chapter 17 at the beginning of the chapter now the Philistines gathered their armies for battle and they were gathered at Socho, which belongs to Judah, and encamped between Socho and Azekah in Ephes-Damim. And Saul and the men of Israel were gathered and encamped in the valley of Elah, and drew up in line of battle against the Philistines. And the Philistines stood on the mountain on one side, and Israel stood on the mountain on the other side, with a valley between them. And there came out from the camp of the Philistines a champion named Goliath of Gath, whose height was six cubits and a span. He had a helmet of bronze on his head, and he was armed with a coat of mail, and the weight of the coat was five thousand shekels of bronze. And he had bronze armor on his legs, and a javelin of bronze slung between his shoulders. The shaft of his spear was like a weaver's beam, and his spear's head weighed six hundred shekels of iron, and his shield-bearer went before him. He stood and shouted to the ranks of Israel, Why have you come out to draw up for battle? Am I not a Philistine, and are you not servants of Saul? Choose a man for yourselves, and let him come down to me. If he is able to fight with me and kill me, then we will be your servants. But if I prevail against him and kill him, then you shall be our servants and serve us. And the Philistine said, I defy the ranks of Israel this day. Give me a man that we may fight together. When Saul and all Israel heard these words of the Philistines, they were dismayed and greatly afraid. Now David was the son of an Ephrathite of Bethlehem and Judah named Jesse, who had eight sons. In the days of Saul, the man was already old and advanced in years. The three oldest sons of Jesse had followed Saul to battle, 
And the names of his three sons who went to the battle were Eliab the firstborn, and next to him Abinadab and the third Shammah. David was the youngest. The three eldest followed Saul, but David went back and forth from Saul to feed his father's sheep at Bethlehem. For forty days the Philistine came forward and took his stand, morning and evening. And Jesse said to David his son, Take for your brothers an ephah of this parched grain and these ten loaves, and carry them quickly to the camp to your brothers. Also take these ten cheeses to the commander of their thousand. See if your brothers are well, and bring some token from them. Now Saul and they and all the men of Israel were in the valley of Elah fighting with the Philistines. And David rose early in the morning and left the sheep with a keeper and took the provisions and went as Jesse had commanded him. And he came to the encampment as the host was going out to the battle line shouting the war cry. And Israel and the Philistines drew up for battle, army against army. And David left the things in charge of the keeper of the baggage and ran to the ranks and went and greeted his brothers. As he talked with them, behold, the champion, the Philistine of Gath, Goliath by name, came up out of the ranks of the Philistines and spoke the same words as before. And David heard him. All the men of Israel, when they saw the man, fled from him and were much afraid. And the men of Israel said, Have you seen this man who has come up? Surely he has come up to defy Israel. And the king will enrich the man who kills him with great riches and will give him his daughter and make his father's house free in Israel. And David said to the men who stood by him, What shall be done for the man who kills this Philistine and takes away the reproach from Israel? For who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? And the people answered him in the same way, So shall it be done to the man who kills him. Now Eliab, his oldest brother, heard when he spoke to the men. And Eliab's anger was kindled against David, and he said, Why have you come down? And with whom have you left these few sheep in the wilderness? I know your presumption and the evil of your heart, for you have come down to see the battle. And David said, What have I done? Was it not but a word? And he turned away from him towards another and spoke in the same way. And the people answered him again as before. When the words that David spoke were heard, they repeated them before Saul and he sent for him. And David said to Saul, let no man's heart fail because of him. Your servant will go and fight with this Philistine. And Saul said to David, You are not able to go against this Philistine to fight with him, for you are but a youth, and he has been a man of war from his youth. But David said to Saul, Your servant used to keep sheep for his father, and when there came a lion or a bear and took a lamb from the flock, I went after him and struck him and delivered him out of his mouth. And if he arose against me, I caught him by his beard and struck him and killed him. Your servant has struck down both lions and bears, and this uncircumcised Philistine shall be like one of them, for he has defied the armies of the living God. And David said, The Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. And Saul said to David, Go, and the Lord be with you. Then Saul clothed David with his armor. He put a helmet of bronze on his head and clothed him with a coat of mail. And David strapped his sword over his armor. And he tried in vain to go, for he had not tested them. Then David said to Saul, I cannot go with these, for I have not tested them. So David put them off. Then he took his staff in his hand and chose five smooth stones from the brook and put them in his shepherd's pouch. His sling was in his hand, and he approached the Philistine. And the Philistine moved forward and came near to David with his shield-bearer in front of him. And when the Philistine looked and saw David, 
he disdained him for he was but a youth ruddy and handsome in appearance and the Philistine said to David am I a dog that you should uh, that you come to me with sticks and uh, the Philistine cursed David by his gods the Philistine said to David come to me and I will give your flesh to the birds of the air and to the beasts of the field then David said to the Philistine you come to me with a sword or with a spear or with a javelin but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts the God of the armies of Israel whom you have defied this day the Lord will deliver you into my hand and I will strike you down and cut off your head and I will give the dead bodies of the host of the Philistines this day to the birds of the air and to the wild beasts of the earth that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel and that all this assembly may know that the Lord saves not with sword and spear for the, Lord, for the battle is the Lord's and he will give you into our hand. When the Philistine arose and came and drew near to meet David, David ran quickly toward the battle line to meet the Philistine. And David put his hand in his bag and took out a stone and slung it and struck the Philistine on his forehead. The stone sank into his forehead and he fell on his face to the ground. So David prevailed over the Philistine with a sling and with a stone and struck the Philistine and killed him. There was no sword in the hand of David. Then David ran and stood over the Philistine and took his sword and drew it out of its sheath and killed him and cut off his head with it. When the Philistines saw that their champion was dead, they fled. And the men of Israel and Judah rose with a shout and pursued the Philistines as far as Gath and the gates of Ekron so that the wounded Philistines fell on the way from Sha'arim as far as Gath and Ekron. And the people of Israel came back from chasing the Philistines and they plundered their camp. And David took the head of the Philistine and brought it to Jerusalem. But he put his armor in his tent. As soon as Saul saw David go out against the Philistines, he said to Abner, the commander of the army, Abner, whose son is this youth? And Abner said, As your soul lives, O king, I do not know. And the king said, Inquire whose son the boy is. And as soon as David returned from the striking down of the Philistine, Abner took him and brought him before Saul with the head of the Philistine in his hand. And Saul said to him, Whose son are you, young man? And David answered, I am the son of your servant, Jesse, the Bethlehemite. Amen, and may God bless to us that reading from his word. Let's join together again in prayer. O Lord, our God, we realize that when the odds may be stacked heavily against an individual, that, that does not determine what the outcome of the battle might be. May we remember with a slingshot and from pebbles from a brook of the son of Jesse the youngest son overcame what seemed insurmountable O Lord our God we believe that you are who you say you are but we realize that we don't believe in the way that we ought to believe and so we pray that as we go through life's journey that we would uh, indeed have our eyes open to the immensity of the God before whom we seek to worship eh, this night. We pray that as we gather here with all our problems, pangs and pains, and they will all be different for each and every one of us, but we pray that we would trust that you are the one who knows the end from the beginning of every matter, and that you will never leave nor forsake those who trust in you. And so we pray that you'd be with us, not just as a congregation, and individuals in the congregation, but as a church at large, and indeed the church across the world, and indeed our nation, and indeed the nations of the world. O oh Lord our God, help us to listen to you, and help us to acknowledge that you have revealed to us in your book of Revelation to the human race 
the best way for the human race to live, the way to honour God and in honouring God to know the blessings in our lives of giving that honour. So be with us, we pray, and all we ask is in Christ's name. Amen. Now let's continue to sing to God's praise in the same song. It's Psalm 91. It's at verse 9. It's page 352 of the Psalter. Because the Lord constantly my refuge is alone, even the Most High is made by thee thy habitation. No plague shall near thy dwelling come. No ill shall thee befall. For thee to keep in all thy ways his angels charge he shall. We'll sing verses 9 to 13 of um, Psalm 91. Because the Lord constantly my refuge is alone. <coughs> I'm going to look at it in the Scottish Psalter, Psalm 25, the first verse, and we're going to read again at verse 18, verses 18 and 19. See mine affliction and my pain, and all my sins forgive. Consider thou mine enemies, because they many are, and it a cruel hatred is which they against me bear. Now let's, by God's enabling, seek to explore this area of Scripture. We've been doing a series for quite a considerable period of time on this particular song written by the ancient uh, king of Israel, the second king of Israel, King King David. And we've pulled these two verses together because when he talks about his affliction and his pain, we realize that much of his affliction and pain was bound up with the enemies that he had uh, to face. And so we will continue our um, exploration of this psalm this, uh, this evening. Now, we cannot be sure of the exact 
circumstances that David is referring to in this song but because we have a great deal of the history of David in other books in the Bible we can look at areas that may well have been part of the reason why he wrote in such a way as, uh, as he did and we want to go back to that chapter in uh, Samuel, for Samuel, and at chapter 17. And there are three areas I want us to look at this, this evening. I want us to look at what we will call his father, Jesse's concern. And then we want to explore David's care. And the third thing we want to explore is God's cause, because they all come up in that particular uh, setting. Israel of old was beset by tremendous difficulties. And one of the main um, problems that Israel faced was they were forever, at least at that time in their history, at war with the Philistines. And right now in that chapter that we've been reading, they were on the back foot. And primarily they were on the back foot because they had the Philistines, Goliath of Gath. Now it looks as if Goliath of Gath was at least 8 foot and 5 inches. And of course he throws out a challenge to the Israelites. The Israelites are on one side of a valley, the Philistines are on the other side. They can shout at each other, they can hear each other. And the challenge is, you, you give us a man and we'll sort this out on a one-to-one. And we read that Israel trembled. And we read that the king of Israel, Saul, trembled as well. And well might Saul, the king of Israel, trembled because remember, Saul amongst his own people was taller than the average person. I think the implication is very clear that there's a weight of responsibility resting on this man, Saul. That he's the one that should go out and do battle with Goliath. And he's absolutely terrified about going out to do battle with Goliath. At the end of the day, that doesn't happen. At the end of the day, a young teenager takes on the formidable foe, Goliath of, uh, of Gath. But that's the setting. Israel is there. David is part of Israel. There's a, there's a monumental problem. And uh, these things have to be faced. This is an affliction that affects everybody in the land. This is an affliction that affects David. It's a pain. And um, <clears throat> we're going to look at some of the issues that arise here. And the first thing we're going to look at is uh, Jesse's concern. Then Saul said to David, uh, in verse, rather, in, in, in 17, chapter 17, and at verse 17 we read, And Jesse said to David his son, Take for your brothers an ephah of this parched grain and these ten loaves and carry them quickly to the camp to your brothers. And take these ten cheeses to the commander of their thousands. See if your brothers are well and bring some token from them. Now what does that tell us? I think it tells us this. It tells us about the concern of David's father for his own kith and kin, his own flesh and blood. <coughs> you know, we've just come to the anniversary of the outbreaking of war between Russia and Ukraine. There has been an unbelievable amount of pain and sorrow and death in that conflict. And we do long for the day when that will come to an end. But you know, we observe these things from a distance. We cannot enter into them. There will be so much heartache and there will be so much devastation on both sides. There will be mothers bereft. There will be fathers bereft. There will be brothers, sisters, aunts and uncles whose lives have been turned upside down, who have been absolutely devastated. War is a horrible thing. You know, I remember as a schoolboy, waiting for the bus to come along and uh, pick us up. And there used to be this man who came along in an old Land Rover. He was driving himself to work. 
And he always seemed to me to be a kind of glum figure. He always seemed to have a kind of air of kind of sadness about him. And, and that, was, that's, that was my experience of him. What I didn't realise until many, many years later that there were four boys in the family. Three of them had been lost in World War II. He was the only one remaining. Maybe he had good reason to be a bit glum. But just the sheer devastation and the, and the pain of war uh, is something that perhaps our generation cannot enter into that maybe like past generations it could but at any rate here is uh, here is um, here is Jesse David's father now we already saw earlier on that there was a problem within the family circle what's new there isn't a family under the sun that doesn't have one kind of problem or another because when uh, it is suggested that that Samuel anoint David as king there's a big problem because Samuel's not for doing it because he's thinking that's high treason and that's the way Saul will see it I can't, I can't go there, I can't do that and God says no, you'll go and there'll be a sacrificial meal and uh, you will, during that process you will anoint uh, David as the second king of Israel but for some reason or other David was not invited along to that, to, that, to that meal. And for some reason or other, his name isn't even mentioned. He's left at home looking after the sheep. Now you might well think, well, someone had to be at home to look after the sheep. Well, in this passage that we've just been reading, we read that David left the sheep on this occasion and he left them with, with, a, with a keeper. And we'll come to that in a moment. So here was a family and there were, there, was, there were obviously problems in the family circle. But that having been said, there is also real concern on the part of Jesse concerning his three sons out there on the battlefront. And, and what he suggests is this, that David should uh, go out and, and, and find out what's going on and uh, bring back some, well it's called here a token. But not only that, he's going to give um, something for David to take. He said um, to David his son, take for your brothers an ephah of this parched grain and these ten loaves and carry them quickly to the camp to your brothers and also take these ten cheeses to the commander of their thousands see if your brothers are well and bring some token from them what's going on here well he's not on the battlefront but he hasn't forgotten where his people are and that, that's important for us to remember this sometimes we may not be able to be in the thick of things but others are in the thick of things but just because we are not in the thick of things does not mean that we cannot be involved because Jesse is very concerned and he is very involved and he sends these gifts say, to his brothers. To his sons rather, to David's brothers. And he also wants to know how things are. See if your brothers are well and bring some token eh, from them. There is something going on there that is good and that is wholesome and that is commendable and yet in the family circle there were obviously problems because David's not at the sacrificial meal David's not even mentioned when it comes to deciding on who's going to be the next king of Israel the oldest son is looked and yes this will be the next king and God says no so the next one God says no and the next one and God says no until it gets to the stage where they're saying Jesse do you have any other sons well, well I do he's, he's just a teenager he's back there looking after the sheep call him then and you see at the end of the day in that passage of scripture we are told that God doesn't look on the outwards God looks on the inwards God looks at the heart and there was something about the heart of David that impressed God and that caused God to make him the second king of Israel. You know, 
It is a formidable thought that we are here tonight before the eternal God who is omniscient. He knows everything about us. Absolutely everything about us. And for many of us that's a really troublesome proposition. And for many of us we've spent an awful lot of time on the run from from this God. What's the problem? And the problem is this. He's holy. We're not. But you know, if we listen to what God says to us on the pages of his revelation to us, it's not the righteous that he came to save. It's not the whole that he came to save. It's the unrighteous and it's the flawed. And it's the ailing. That is the beauty of the message of the eternal living and true God. He has stooped down into this world to save people as they are. He has given this great gift, the gift of uh, of salvation. But here was Jesse, and Jesse is a father who has a concern about his own sons out on the battlefront. But the second thing I want us to look at is, is David's care, and it's there in verse 19. Now Saul and uh, they and all the men of Israel were in the valley of uh, Eli, fighting with the Philistines. And David rose early in the morning and left the sheep with a keeper and took the provisions and went as Jesse had commanded him and came to the encampment as the host was gone out to the battle line shouting the war cry and the care I want us to pick up on is this he left the sheep with a keeper and took the provisions and went as Jesse had commanded him there is something about Interacting with animals. There is this concern on the part of David. You know, my people are at war. These are just insignificant sheep. I can afford to just let it be and I can just go. But he doesn't. The shepherd's heart is there. The shepherd's care is there. I will go, but I will not leave them. I will make sure that there is somebody else who is keeping these uh, animals. And I've said this often from this pulpit. It's amazing as you go uh, go back over the history of uh, the Bible, just how often people who are significant in it have spent a lot of their lives interacting with, uh, interacting with uh, with animals, Abraham had a lot of flocks. Jacob had a lot of flocks. Um, David himself, Moses. Do you remember Moses? Moses, who was brought up in the court of of Egypt, the most powerful nation on earth. At the time, Moses was there. Moses never forgot who he was and what he was about. And he was out to champion the cause of the people of God, but he went about it in a totally wrong way. He, he, he had a bit of an ego trip about it, and he thought, Do you know what, I'm going to sort these things out. And I suppose it went even this far. I'm going to sort out this problem for God. God, God doesn't seem to be involved. I'm going to sort it out for him. You remember that he ends up killing an Egyptian. And instead of championing the cause of the people of God, he ends up fleeing from Egypt. And that's it. For another 40 years, he is shepherding, he is pastoring in the hills, in the Midian hills. And you think... Dear me, what a waste of time for a significant person who could be such a leader. 
That is not the way God saw it. Because 40 years later, God speaks uh, to Moses at the theophany that is the burning bush. God says something to Moses. He says, you are going to go down into Egypt and you are going to lead my people out of the land of Egypt into the promised land. And Moses is saying, no, I am not. And you think, what, what, what's changed? What has changed in that man's life experience? That's what he set out to do. And he failed absolutely miserably. And here he is 40 years later and God's, God's saying, yes, you're going to do this. And Moses is saying, no, no, no. Well, the difference is this. After 40 years of shepherding, that man has learned many, many things. Not only about the sheep he was shepherding, but about himself as well. He's gotten insights as to who he is and what he's about. He's not as bold and as brazen and ready to take on the whole world as he once was. He sees his weakness, he sees his flaws, he sees his faults. And he says to God, I'm not going. But you know what? When God tells someone they should do something, it's wiser to just fall in with the will of God. We don't always do that, but we end up paying in the currency of tears for that kind of opposition. Moses did. And ultimately Moses goes and ultimately Moses does and in an astonishing way he leads the children of Israel out of Egypt but he doesn't do it in his own strength he does it leaning on the God that we've just been singing about he does it leaning on the God who is almighty and you can read up on all the astonishing things that God did in the deliverance of his own people uh, from uh, the land of Egypt yes we can say that Moses did it at one level but at another level Moses is saying I didn't do it I was an instrument in the hand of the eternal God and that's the way it was that's the way it was um, accomplished and uh, here is David he's in a similar situation uh, to what Moses was in he's out there he's dealing with the with sheep he's dealing with the, the predators and um, we might write him off as just a simple shepherd boy, but he went about being just a simple shepherd boy, believing in God and trusting in God and being enabled by God to function at that level. And that's what will enable this person, David, to do what he did for the people of God. It's in a similar vein. But I want us to move on now to what we will cause what we will call God's cause, and it's there in verse uh, 20, uh, 21. And Israel and the Philistines drew up for battle, army against army. And David left the things in charge of the keeper of the baggage and ran to the ranks and went and greeted his brothers. And he talked with them. Behold the champion. As he talked with them, behold the champion, the Philistine of Gath, Goliath by name, came up out of the ranks of the Philistines and spoke the same words as before. And David heard it. David heard him. All the men of Israel, when they saw the man, fled from him and were much afraid and the men of Israel said have you seen this man who has come up surely he has come up to defy Israel and the king will enrich the man who kills him with great riches and will give him his daughter and make his father's house free in Israel and David said to the men who stood by him what shall be done for the man who kills this Philistine and takes away the reproach from Israel for who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? And the people answered him in the same way, so shall it be done to the man who kills him. What's at the heart of David's concern here? Who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies 
of the living God. You see, David knows who he is. And David knows who his people are. And David knows also who God is. And you know, it's a frosty night tonight and the sky will be clear and we'll see many, many stars. And you know, there is something about looking up into a clear sky on a frosty night and you see the vast array of stars and you think, this is phenomenal. And we've sent out Hubble and since then we've sent out something much more powerful than Hubble and we just have our minds melting away when we ponder the massiveness of the universe. And we come to the very beginning of this book of Revelation that God has given to us and we read that in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth and you think this is a phenomenal being. Absolutely a phenomenal being. A being. And we look at ourselves and our own weakness and our own frailty and in our own vulnerabilities and indeed in our own sinfulness and we think there's no way in the world we could take on a being like that. No way in the world. And that is exactly what Goliath of Gath is doing. He is in a clash with the eternal God and the eternal God's uh, people. Now let's remember this. Every time we sin and every time we rebel against God, we're taking on the same kind of opposition, if you like. It's a crazy clash. Absolutely crazy clash. Because there's only ever going to be one outcome. There's only ever going to be one outcome. But here is David and he knows who he is and he knows who the people of Israel are and he knows who the God of Israel is. And he's jealous for God. Who is this uncircumcised Philistine? Who is this one that defies the armies of Israel? And it's not so much as defying the armies of Israel as defying the God of Israel. It's to defy the great eternal living and a true God. And there you have it. He recognizes a cause. He recognizes that it is God's cause. And he's not just going to let this pass by. He is going to be accused, and maybe I'll come back to this. I spoke about it at the prayer meeting last Wednesday. He is going to be accused of just coming out to to kind of gloat over the battle and to watch things happen. That's, that's as far away from the truth concerning David as you can get. But this brother Eliab thinks that often. But there was another problem for David. The clash of a brother within his own family circle. That's one of the beauties of this book before us. It just gives us things as they really are. You just read it and you think, yeah, that's so true, so true uh, to, to life. And so here is David, and there's this big problem. There's the Philistines, and there's the Philistine. There's his father, there's a clash between himself and his father in some kind of way, but the father is still concerned about his family and good on him for, for doing that. David is there in the midst of all his trackles and trials and troubles, and he's not going to forget the flock that, got, that he's got to look after. He leaves them with a keeper, but here he is, and someone is defying the eternal God, and it gets to him. It just gets to him. And so in this song he says, See mine affliction and my pain, and all my sins forgive. Consider thou mine enemies, because they many are, and a cruel hate that is, which they against me bear. And I want us to pick up on these words, and all my sins forgive. Because even in the heat of the battles that he finds himself in David is not looking down upon those around him saying you know what I've made the grade I'm good I'm perfect you guys are not that is not what he is saying that is not what he is saying 
Here is somebody who wants to champion the cause of God. And he does. But he's not saying he's flawless. He's saying I am still flawless. And you know nothing is new under the sun. Here we are 3,000 years later. And you give God's view on something. Whatever it might be. As he reveals himself to us on the pages of scripture. But nobody, nobody at all is saying I'm flawless. I'm above others. That's not the way it is. We are all sinners. We are all flawed. We are all in the same boat eh, together. But David, despite being conscious of that, is willing to stand up for the cause of God and for the cause of truth. And I hope that we will be encouraged and we will take strength from a passage of scripture like this. Not to tell the world, you know what, we are flawless. We're not saying that for one second. Not for one second. But to, at the same time, be able to say, do you know what God's word says on this issue or that issue or the next issue? And not to shy away from it. Irrespective of what the consequences are. May be. May God give us the grace in our weakness and in our vulnerabilities and in our frailness to stand steadfast in defense of who God is and what He's about. Because only when we really recognize who God is and what He's about will we know the blessings and the peace and the contentment. That we as a nation and nations of the world are seeking so much for. Amen. Let's pray. O Lord our God, we thank you that you are who you are. We ask you to forgive us for being who we are. We fail you so often, but we pray that despite all our failures, that we would not be ashamed of speaking up and speaking out about who you are and where real blessing for the human race lies. And all we ask is in Christ's name. Amen. Now let's conclude by singing the last few verses of this particular song. It's uh, Psalm uh, 90. Psalm 91 and it's on page 352 and it's at verse 14. Because on me set his love, I'll save and set him free. Because my great name he hath known, I will him set on high. We'll sing verses 14 to 16 of Psalm, Psalm 91. Because on me he set his love.
And may grace, mercy, and peace from Father, Son, and Holy Spirit rest on and abide with each one, both now and forevermore. Amen.